um, that we're going to be in John chapter 9 tonight, where it will not surprise you, we're going to talk about a man who was born blind. Uh, as we, as you turn there, um, we're, we're not going to be able to go through the entire story verse by verse, although it is a, a really great interaction between Jesus, a blind man, his parents, the Jewish leaders. Um, but let me start by asking you, how do you respond when you face trials and difficulties that were not your fault? When, when something happens to you, maybe it's a family you were born into or someone does something to you, and, and, and you didn't instigate it, you didn't start it, but it just kind of came your way. Kind of the lot fell to you. In that moment, we kind of have a, a choice to make. And I've seen many different types of reactions and responses to how life, the hand that it deals us. Uh, some people, you just can't keep them down. I mean, no matter what happens to them, they are the most positive, optimistic, glasses half full kind of people. Uh, it really just doesn't matter what happens to them. This past week, I had a very unusual hospital visit. Do a lot of those. Uh, this particular man was a man I didn't know. Uh, he and his wife were involved in a very ser- severe car accident uh, earlier in the week. His wife had died from that. He was in his 80s. And uh, he was pretty banged up himself. And so I went with one of our members, and they, they kind of his family knew th- these people and asked if we would visit. And so in my mind, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, here's this guy. He's going to be certainly banged up. He's probably not feeling well. He's an older gentleman, so he, he probably doesn't have a lot of strength. Uh, we may just visit for a few minutes and pray with him and then leave. And he may be kind of downcast because he's just lost his wife and... You know, you kind of build up this scenario in your mind of what you might be facing. I don't know what we were expecting as we walked in, but it turned out to be exactly 180 degrees from that situation. Although everything in that situation had happened to that man, uh, he was determined not to let it uh, drag down his spirits. His outlook was positive. He was a realist. He understood that it was sad, uh, that it was difficult. Um, but his outlook was very positive. We had a pleasant conversation. He was far more interested in us than he would ever hardly let us ask a question about him. I came away from that hospital visit so encouraged. I was like, this is the strangest thing. And the people that we that were visiting with me said, yeah, we didn't know what to expect. We sure didn't expect that. I've been to other people who've suffered far less and you know, here they are thinking, you know, calling accounts of Job and, and saying, I'm, I'm worse than Job, you know. Attitude makes a whole lot of difference. What you are receive in this life, uh, you don't, on some of those things, you don't get a choice. But you always have a choice in the attitude that you give back and the response that you give. So I want you to think about that as you're in John chapter 9. And we hear about a man who was dealt a bad hand from, uh, from the beginning. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Um, we're going to have those times in life when we 
get something we don't expect or we don't get something that we do expect. And I want to call us to this verse as a maybe an attitude adjustment. Maybe to see that, you know, I'm not sure what it is you're going through, so since I can't speak to you, I'll speak to me. I didn't really expect this to happen on June 3rd. I sure sort of wish it wouldn't have happened, but I have a choice in if I'm going to let God be reflected through it or not. I get to choose. I get to choose what kind of attitude I'm going to have going through the trial. And I think there's a great lesson for me personally and all of us as we um, get the things we don't expect or don't get the things that we do. So as we think about John chapter 9, um, this entire story is centered around this man and what Jesus does in response. As long as it is day, this is verse 4, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work while I am in the world. I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharisees, uh, brought to the Pharisees the man which had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? They were so divided. So finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was he who opened your eyes. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked, is this the one who you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. How can we see, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that Anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ could be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Uh, Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Well, again, I wanted to read the story. We won't go verse by verse of it, but it's a fascinating Interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders. The first thing we see is that the blind man had a problem. Uh, But this happened. Now He had been that way his whole life. He had had this infliction he had never seen before. He had never seen colors. He had never seen his parents' face. He had never seen the people's voices to whom he had grown accustomed. He had never seen the temple. He had never seen any of God's doing. He had never seen people pray. He had never watched children he never seen a rainbow or a sunset. This man had a problem. Life happens. Now, whether or not this man had any faith, I, I presume he did because he was Jewish. Um, and there's a simple lesson here, and that is life happens even for people of faith. Maybe you ought to change that and say life happens especially for people of faith. Don't be surprised. Now, The question they ask is, who sinned, this man or his parents? Uh, This was a type of theology that was not new. It was something called retribution theology. If you read the book of Job, you understand that that, that there was an old understanding of God. That you do what's right, God blesses you. You do what's wrong, something bad happens, God must be punishing you for some reason. Uh, That is not a... 100 This is a bit of a twisted theology. And so in Job's story, of course, he's very rich, very wealthy, has a lot of success by worldly standards. They say, ah, he's blessed by God. He's godly. He's God-fearing. God is blessing him, and all of a sudden he loses everything. And they say, well, Job, fess up, man. What would you do? Because God wouldn't do that to someone who wasn't sinning. And this theology continues right up until Jesus' day. And you sometimes hear of it today. And people who are God-fearing, God-believing, Bible-believing, Jesus-following folks have bad things happen to them. And they begin to question, did I do something wrong here? Is there something in my life that God's trying to correct? Some obstacles are not our choosing. Um, the blind man certainly falls in this category. 
And Jesus will say, also his parents. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But there's other people in this story that have an obstacle. And it's an obstacle that they choose. That's the Pharisees. As we think about the book of John, think of the number of obstacles. Now, you had to have been here every Sunday night to have caught these. But um, so far, up to this point in the story, we have a wedding that didn't have any wine. A woman who didn't have any water, a son who was almost dead, a man who didn't have the ability to walk, 20,000 people without food, and unbelieving Jewish leaders who want to kill Jesus. You have a choice when you are facing an obstacle, and that is this. Are you going to be overwhelmed by that obstacle, or will you choose to let God overcome the obstacle? If you remember what Jesus said right before he left this earth, one of the very few final things he told his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, if we give the full context of that, he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, every obstacle contains the opportunity, but the opportunity isn't for you. The, obst- the, the opportunity is to glorify God. And by the way, the greater the obstacle, the greater the opportunity to glorify God. The greater the platform you're given. And you have a choice in that moment. If you're going to worry about yourself, complain, become self-centered in that Obstacle, or if you're going to become God-centered, and let the opportunity to glorify him grow greater and greater. There are several examples of characters who did handle such an obstacle, such a trial in Scripture. These go outside of John, of course. Uh, Joseph is a well-known one in the book of Genesis. And he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me. When they left him for dead, um, they, they didn't really care what happened to him. But... He says, God intended it for good. He'll go on to say the saving of many lives. Job, the story we alluded to earlier, after he had lost everything, the scripture says that he did what? He fell to the ground in worship. You see, he saw the ob- obstacle not as an opportunity to complain about his own circumstance, but instead as an opportunity to glorify his creator. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. And the blind man says this, I was blind, but now I see. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul wrote this concerning his troubles. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. I'd love to go into more of that detail, but Paul puts it pretty succinctly and just about right. And he sums it up right in this way. He says, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I think every obstacle we face, great or small, is an opportunity to more greatly Rely on God.
and not on yourself. Because he raises the dead. Number two, the Messiah had a plan. Uh, the, the, the verse says, so that the work of God. Now, God works in all we see and in all we don't see. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. But the work that Jesus does, or that God does in John, is through Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 28, a verse we've covered before, they ask him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, this is a little side note here, so we get a lot of questions on Know Your Bible about baptism. They say, well, that's just a work. And sometimes, not all the time, I'll say, well, how much more of it is it a work than repentance or belief itself? There, there is an element of something that we have to do, but it's not us that's the doing. It's the putting the trust fully in the one who is the work of God and who does the work of God without any error, without any shortfall. The blind man believed Jesus enough to do what he said. Uh, what, what, where was it that Jesus was saved? Was it in the spit? Was it in the mud? Was it in the pool of Siloam? You see, all of those things were important, but here's why they're important. They mattered only because Jesus said to do them. And when Jesus said to do them, they become incredibly important. And somebody said, well, you're just trying to earn your sight, blind man. No. No, you're just simply responding out of an obedient heart, doing and trusting in the Savior. The irony is that it took a blind man to get the Pharisees to see that they were making a scandal of God working on the Sabbath. That, that's the whole point. They get mad because Jesus is doing work of any type on the Sabbath. And if Jesus had been just a man, they're right. That would have been a problem. But this testified unto itself that any work, as they would classify it, that Jesus was doing was not the work of a man, but the work of God. Jesus is the work of God. And yet they sinfully, selfishly, stubbornly refuse to see. see. You see the difference here? You've got the Pharisees on one side, and they're making every excuse in the world why Jesus cannot be who he says he is. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know who he is. He's got to be a sinner. And there's this unknown blind man. And Jesus says, here, come here. Put this on your face. I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he does that. He didn't question it. I'm sure he wondered what is going on. Like, I, like I, Had this occurrence ever occurred to this blind man before? Probably not. So in, through Christ in us, God will continue to use us to further his work. This is what he says in John 6 again. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork. 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, all the things that we do, even like Wichita Work Camp and the Light of Life Ministries, that's you doing it, kind of. But it really, what's happening is God is doing that through Christ. And when you obeyed Christ, you allowed him to work through you. We are God's masterpiece, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The problem is, when we focus on ourselves, we immediately see a problem, and that is our own limitations, our own shortcomings, our own inabilities. I've said before, and, and it bears repeating, God does not need you to be able. God only needs you to be willing. God used a shepherd boy named David to be a king over his sheep. He used a timid murderer with a speech impediment named Moses to lead a nation. And here, God uses a blind man to help people see. You see, there's nothing special about the clay, but there's everything in the world special about the potter. It's a song that says you make beautiful things out of dust. That's what the potter does. That's how he works. And that's how he worked then, and it's how he works now. Finally is, the message was prevail. The message of God working through Jesus was through a, a man who was blind, but now he could see that he might be displayed in his life. It's, it's a particularly moving thought to imagine that Man, as a baby, when he was born and his eyes weren't right, I don't know if they were closed or or just not there or how exactly he looked, but you understand that his parents immediately must have been disappointed. The old adage goes that every parent wants their their child to be just normal and healthy. Until they're born, by the way, then they want them to be exceptional, but... In that moment, there was such disappointment and heartbreak. They knew things were going to be different. They knew he wasn't going to be like other kids. And as he grew up and he couldn't do the things that the other kids did, and he had those limitations placed on him, as he got older and kids began to question or maybe even make fun, they may have wondered, what did we do? What did we do to deserve this? Maybe he wondered that. Why me? God, why me? And all this time, God's just waiting for his son to come on the scene and to meet this man who can't see, but he will. And he watches as his son, in the most beautiful way, in a way probably like he did in Genesis. Takes dust. Makes a little clay. And brings life. Where there was not any. You see God was waiting. God had a message. God had a purpose in it. Maybe God has a purpose in your suffering as well. Here is the message. I was blind. But now I see. One of the things I love the most about Celebrate Recovery is that 
Christ uses every person who comes. And they, if they do a testimony, they'll say, I'm a firm believer in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about the message that God has used in my life. I mean, let me tell you the message that God has made of me. Let me tell you the message that God has made of my mess. It's a wonderful, redeeming, hope-filled quality of the gospel. He makes beautiful things of dust. 2 Corinthians 4. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Every story, every hurt, every suffering, every obstacle that you face, every story is for his glory. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God himself were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so you, if you wish, can let your story, can you let your test become a testimony? Can you let your mess become a message? But you have to choose. So how do you react when the unexpected happens? Do you let Christ shine in the darkness? Does he get the glory through every part of your story? Is Christ shining through and being shared in your sufferings? It's a good question for all of us to ask. Maybe one final question is, are you blind? And if you are, are you ready to see? The remedy then and the remedy now is still Christ. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. The message of the blind man is our message as well. May we seek to let his glory shine in every part, not just the good parts, but in all parts of the story. Tonight, if you're blind and if you're ready to see, if you're ready to know Christ, his instructions are quite simple. May you, like the blind man, obey in heartfelt, sincere faith. And if you're in Christ, let you've let yourself... Close your eyes again to his glory. Uh, we love to pray with you and encourage you. Whatever way we can help, come as together we stand and sing.